Chapter 13. Dan Cullen, Docker. I stood yesterday in a room in one of the municipal buildings not far from Lehman Street. If I looked into a dreary future, and I saw that I would have to live in such a room until I died, I should immediately go down, plump into the Thames, and cut the tenancy short. It was not a room, courtesy that the language will not permit it to be called a room, that it will permit it a hovel to be called a mansion. It was a den, a lair. Seven feet by eight were its dimensions, and the ceiling was so low as not to give the cubic airspace required by a British soldier in a barracks. A crazy couch with ragged coverlets occupied nearly half the room. A rickety table, a chair, a couple of boxes left little space in which to turn around. Five dollars would have purchased everything in sight. The floor was bare, while the walls and the ceiling were literally covered with blood marks and splotches. Each mark represented a violent death of an insect. And for the place was swarming with vermin, a plague for which no person could cope single-handed. The man who had occupied this hole, one Dan Cullen, docker, was dying in hospital, and yet he had impressed his personality on his miserable surroundings sufficiently to give an inkling as to what sort of man he was. On the walls were cheap pictures of Garibaldi and Engels and Dan Burns and other Labour leaders, while on the table lay one of Walter Besant's novels. He knew his Shakespeare, I was told, and had read history and sociology and economics. He was self-educated. On the table, amidst a wonderful disarray, lay a sheet of paper on which was scrawled, Mr. Cullen, please return the large white jug and corkscrew I lent you. Articles loaned during the first stages of his sickness by a woman neighbour, and demanded back in anticipation of his death. A large white jug and a corkscrew are far too valuable to a creature of the abyss to permit another creature to die in peace. To the last... Dan Cullen's soul must be harrowed by the sordidness out of which it strove vainly to rise. It's a brief little story, the story of Dan Cullen, but there is much to read between the lines. He was born lowly in a city and land where the lines of caste are tightly drawn. All his days he toiled hard with his body, and because he'd opened the books and been caught up by the fires of the spirit and could write a letter like a lawyer, he had been selected by his fellows to toil hard for them with his brain. He became a leader of the fruit porters, represented the dockers in the London Trades Council, and wrote trenchant articles for the Labour journals. He did not cringe to other men, even though they were his economic masters, and controlled the means whereby he lived, and he spoke his mind freely, and fought the good fight, in the great dock strike, he was guilty of taking a leading part, and that was the end of Dan Cullen. From that day, he was a marked man, and every day, for ten years or more, he was paid off for what he'd done. A docker is a casual labourer. Work ebbs and flows, and he works or does not work according to the amount of goods on hand to be moved. 
Dan Cullen was discriminated against. While he was not absolutely turned away, which would have caused trouble, and which would certainly have been more merciful, he was called in by the foreman to do no more than two or three days' work per week. That's what's being called disciplined or drilled. It means being starved. There's no politer word. Ten years of it broke his heart, and broken-hearted men cannot live. He took to his bed in this terrible den, which grew more and more terrible with his helplessness. He was without kith or kin, a lonely old man, embittered and pessimistic, fighting vermin the while, and looking at Garibaldi and Engels and Dan Burns, gazing down at him from the blood-bespattered walls. No one came to see him in that crowded municipal barracks. He had made friends with none of them, and he was simply left to rot. But from the far reaches of the East End came a cobbler and his son, his sole friends. They cleansed his room, they brought fresh linen from home, they took him from him his limbs of the sheets, the greyish black with dirt, and they brought to him one of the Queen's bounty nurses from Oldgate. She washed his face, shook up his couch, and talked with him. It was interesting to talk with him until he learned her name. Oh, yes, Blank was her name, she replied innocently, and Sir George Blank was her brother. And Sir George Blank? Blank? thundered the old Dan Cullens on his deathbed. Sir George Blank? So listen to the docks at Cardiff? who more than any other man had broken up the Dockers' Union of Cardiff and was knighted, and she was his sister. Thereupon Dan Cullen sat up on his crazy couch and pronounced anathema upon her and all her breed, and she fled to return no more, strongly impressed on the ungratefulness of the poor. Dan Cullen's feet became swollen with dropsy. He sat up all day on the side of the bed to keep the water out of his body, and no mat on the floor, a thin blanket on his legs, and an old coat around his shoulders. A missionary brought him a pair of paper slippers worth fourpence, because I saw them, and proceeded to offer up fifty prayers or so for the good of Dan Cullen's soul. But... Dan Cullen was the sort of man that wanted his soul left alone. He didn't care to have slippers out, and uh, he didn't care to have Tom, Dick or Harry on the strength of fourpenny slippers tampering with it. He asked the missionary kindly to open the window so that he might throw the slippers out, and the missionary went away to return no more, likewise impressed with the ungratefulness of the poor. A cobbler a brave old hero, though unannulled and unsung, went privily to the head office of the big fruit brokers for which Dan Cullen had worked as a casual labourer for thirty years. Their system was such that the work was almost entirely done by casual hands. The cobbler told them of the man's desperate plight, old, broken, dying, without help or money, reminded them that he had worked for them for thirty years, and asked them to do something for him. "'Oh,' said the manager, remembering Dan Cullen without having to refer to his books, "'you see, we make it a rule never to help casuals. Uh, we can do nothing.' Nor did they do anything. 
not even sign a letter asking for Dan Cullen's admission to a hospital. And it's not so easy to get into a hospital in London town. At Hampstead, if he passed the doctors, at least four months would have elapsed before he could get in. There were so many on the books ahead of him. The cobbler finally got him into the Whitechapel Infirmary, which he visited frequently, and here he found that Dan Cullen had succumbed to the prevalent feeling that, being hopeless, they were hurrying him out of the way. A fair and logical conclusion, really, one must agree, because an old and broken man to arrive who has been resolutely disciplined and drilled for ten years, when they sweated him for Bright's disease and to remove the fat from his kidneys, Dan Cullen contended that the sweating was hastening his death, while Bright's disease, being a wasting away of the kidneys, there was therefore no fat to remove, and the doctor's excuse was a palpable lie. Whereupon the doctors became wroth and didn't come near him for nine days. Then his bed was tilted up so that his feet and legs were elevated. At once dropsy appeared in the body, and Dan Cullen contended that the thing was done in order to run the water down into his body from his legs and kill him more quickly. He demanded his discharge, though they told him that he would die on the stairs, and he dragged himself, more dead than alive, to the cobbler's shop. At the moment of writing this, he is dying at the temperance hospital, in which place his friend, his staunch friend, the cobbler, moved heaven and earth to get him admitted. Poor Dan Cullen. A Jude the Obscure, who reached out after knowledge, and who toiled with his body in the day and studied in the watches of the night, and who dreamed his dream and struck valiantly for the cause. A patriot, a lover of human freedom, a fighter unafraid, and in the end not gigantic enough to beat down the conditions which baffled and stifled him. A cynic and a pessimist, gasping his final agony on a pauper's couch in a charity ward. For a man to die who might have been wise and was not, this I call a tragedy. Thank you.